it was physically demanding work and the uh the fumes of the ink were giving me such a headache i mean i i couldn't even see straight you know these guys are doing guys have been doing this for like 20 and 30 years there that reminds me of doing blueprints you know blue lines ugh mm. The blue line machine of the ammonia. Oh yeah, yeah, I yeah, because with the first internship that I did, they were still using blue lines, and um, you know, so of course, me being the intern, who's gonna be doing all the damn uh, blue lines, yep. and uh, it was kind of fun in a way. But how many people in our profession are ever gonna be able to say that after our generation leaves? They're never gonna know what. I mean, there was an art to that. I screwed up many a blue line by not <laughs> aligning did. it right and everything else. Right. I mean, there was really an art to that. Yeah, totally. You had to be coordinated. Yeah, you had to be coordinated. And then what was the, did you need to slow it down a little bit because you've got right. a, um, right. what you know, like a mylar versus a vellum and stuff like that. I mean, there was a real art to that thing. Welcome to the Archispeak Podcast, the podcast for architects by architects, where we discuss all things about architecture. I'm Neil Pan. Each episode, Evan Troxel, Cormac Phelan, and me invite you in on the conversation as we talk about everything in the profession, both the good and the bad. Maybe you're considering a career in architecture, you're still in school, or you've been around the block more times than you'd like to admit. Join us in the studio as we gather around the water cooler and talk about this profession we call architecture. It's time for some Archispeak. Welcome to episode 53 of the Archispeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Droxel. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And today's show, we have a returning sponsor, and that's ArtCat. And we're really happy to have them back, and uh, we'll talk about them a little later in the show. Uh, and But we also have another sponsor, and this is a new sponsor for ArcaSpeak, and that's NCARB. And so we really want to thank NCARB for sponsoring uh, the ArcaSpeak podcast, and we'll have a little bit more to talk about them later as well. And then we have a little business to address. And Evan, I think we have a, a friend of the show. That's right. We have a new friend of the show this week from Olympia, Washington. And that is Alexander Bergman. And Alexander donated $5 to become a friend of the show. So thank you very much, Alexander. If you would like to become a friend of the show and uh, help donate to the cause here you can do so at arcaspeakpodcast.com slash donate and uh if you would like your name read on the air we would be happy to do that check out arcaspeakpodcast.com slash donate and become a friend of the show we love our new friends and uh so shout out to alexander and uh, we'd like to get some more new friends of the show and uh, and meet more people this year so check it out or returning friends of the show too that's right yeah. 
So just to, just a plug there, and also uh, just a, uh, a shout out to Alexander for uh, an awesome uh, post on our over on our Facebook page. Just really great to uh, to have him appreciate the show and, and let us know. And if you'd like to do that, you can do so as well, either in the comments to the episode or over on our Facebook page or Twitter. And links for all of them can be found at arcuspeedpodcast.com. So thank you, Alexander, for the great comment. We really appreciate that. And something else I, I wanted to bring up, too, before we move on is... Uh, Greg Lavadera brought up uh, some really great comments on our last show, episode 52, about liability. So I just wanted to point that out. If uh, if you hadn't seen uh, Greg's comments, uh, we got a couple others as well So uh, on that particular episode. So head on over to arcuspeakpodcast.com slash episodes slash 52 uh, to read up on Greg's comments. He, he wrote a couple of great things on there. So uh, definitely uh, follow up on that episode and see what Greg had to say. I just wanted to uh, point that out. And then we have one other announcement to make. Uh, We got published recently. That is architecturaldigest.com has a blog, and they posted what they are calling the best architecture and design podcasts. And we were uh, fortunate enough to be uh, mentioned, along with a number of other great podcasts that you should also check out. But we were very excited to... uh, to have Architectural Digest call out the Archispeak podcast is one of the best architecture and design podcasts. So thank you uh, and a big shout out to them for mentioning us. And there will be a link in the show notes to this episode. So go check that out and, and then you can go read the article itself. So thank Tell you everybody much. how they get our show notes. You can sign up for our show notes on just about any page at com. There is a subscribe link on usually on the right-hand side of the page. And you sign up for the show notes and you'll... They will be sent out to you when the show goes live every other Sunday. Yep. And that just lets you follow along with the links and the articles and the things that we talk about on the show. And that's about it. So it's uh, it's nice that it comes to you. You don't have to go looking for it, especially for those of you who subscribe to the show through iTunes um, and aren't, aren't listening on the website. I mean, obviously, we post our show notes with each episode on the site as well. But if you're a subscriber, you might want to get those emailed to you. So definitely do that. Absolutely. So tonight, actually, Cormac uh, had a great idea uh, and something we have been doing this now for a couple of years, the show that is. And there's a, a few things that he brought up that I thought we hadn't really discussed before, and it'd be kind of a lot of fun to do. And and that is talking about jobs. We're going to shorten it to jobs, but really kind of what sort of jobs did we have before, maybe during and after school uh, or after our college experience uh, or during, that is. And then, you know, what kind of maybe drew us into architecture and, and what kind of what kind of activities or things that shaped us and, you know, what, what, how that could shape us going forward, too. So really I, drew drew us in. Oh, I see what you All did there. pun intended. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I'm just reading what he wrote, so. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> you could have just let me say it. Well, I could, but, yeah. you know, I was on a roll there, so. All right. Go ahead and take it off, Cormac. Get us started tonight. Take it off, Cormac. <laughs> Wait, that's not one of the jobs I want to talk about. I mean. Yeah, better not talk about that one. Every That's for the just... After Dark episode, Cormac. We know yeah, it's coming. <laughs> Just, just for everybody out there listening, it's not a job that I will ever admit to. I mean, uh, ever did, ever <laughs> yeah, did. Sorry, yeah, ever exactly. did. 
No, you know, I've, I've been listening to um, Absolutely Love, and if nobody ever listens to these, you, you probably should. Um, NPR does a great series called uh, StoryCorps. If you go over to NPR's website and you can look up their programs, and uh, you'll find StoryCorps. And they've got a bunch of subtitles uh, of different subjects that they talk about, and one of them is jobs um, and work. And um, what was what I always find interesting about this is they've interviewed people that have been here in this country forever, new immigrants. They they talk to all sorts of people, and they. You know, a lot of them, you know, either focus on how they've, you know, been able to make it. Sometimes, you know, they've talked about the break it stories. Um, but, it, you know, it was really interesting. And it was always thought, you know, well, how did I always think back to how I got started? I don't think it's ever anything that we've ever talked about is how did how did you guys get started? You know, what set you on this path? Were there any jobs that you ever did when you were a kid that you thought this is a job that's going to help me, you know, with what I think is my future career in architecture, or were they just jobs to get you to this point? You know, and then, you know, I was also thinking... Or you diversions know, during Or diversions during, exactly, and I've, yeah. I had a few of those. Um, you know, then there's also the, you know, we've, we've had some pretty hard years uh, over the past uh, couple of, at least half decade, and uh, there's a lot of people who've left architecture or had to do other things until architecture picked back up. And, uh, you know, I'm just wondering what happened. I know, Neil, that, you know, you've, um, you know, you kind of had a, a, a pretty hard patch where, you know, you're working on your own. Um, things have slowed down for you, but what got you through it? Um, so I just want to kind of talk about that. Yeah, this is a, a good subject. I think that a lot of people who go through architecture school at least design type schools that I'm, that my experience was, it was, it was basically the mantra was, you know, you, you dedicate your life to this, um, from, from here until you die. And so I think that it's pretty interesting to see where people come from and in the diversions that they take, or if they really do kind of take it on wholeheartedly, singularly for the rest of their life. So good, good subject. I think, I think this will be fun. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Neil, you want to start? Uh, uh, well, back in my time. <laughs> oh, come on, Mr. Birthday Boy. That's right. Happy birthday to Cormac. That's right. Thanks. Happy birthday, Cormac. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. <I'm> a- <laughs> All right. Yeah. We won't talk about how old he is. But Still not as old as you. Not as old as me, but not far behind. Um, you know, thinking back to how I got started in this, um, I don't know if I had a job or anything early on that um, that kind of guided me into architecture. I mean, there there it was were definitely, a way of life. <laughs> well, it. I mean, well, why no, architecture? No, no, I, mean, I think why architecture? That it's a great question. I I honestly don't know. I I really don't have an answer, but. When I was younger, uh, like a lot of kids, uh, I was into Legos. Um, I I don't know if that is something that necessarily drove me to uh, becoming an architect, but just the idea of building and and also just imagining things, I think those are all building blocks, to kind of throw a pun there, uh, 
to to starting that type of a career. I, there was certainly no one in my family uh, that had this sort of background or or education, so I didn't pick it up from from anyone. And so there's there's really no no one thing I could say that kind of led me down this path. When I was younger, I did like to draw, and so I never developed the kind of cartoon skills. Cormac, that you, that you have, but I did like to draw, and 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 I think that probably led me on a path as I got into. I do recall uh, quite clearly when I was in junior high school, there was a, a drafting course that was um, kind of a, a a subsection of the woodshop course. So I took woodshop, and and we it, we did a, a number of um, you know we did some sandblasting projects, uh, and you know making a cutting board for my mom, and you know just to get kind of the basic s- simple things you would do back in junior high school. And as part of that class, we took drafting for like one quarter of the semester, and I was really good at it. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really strive to do very well, and I, I seem to have a talent for it. And back then, it was you know T squares or T T squares and triangles, and and uh, or I think actually, if if some of our listeners out there remember the the old mechanical arms that would telescope mm-hmm. you know across the table, and I, I hated those things because I, as a left-handed person, um, they were always set up for right-handers and. And it's like I was the one oddball that had to sit at the one desk that maybe had a left-handed mecha- hey, mechanical just, arm. Just get a parallel bar. You can swing it around. And a parallel bar, I can't stand. I've well, got one. At, I've got one at work. We I didn't like have it. parallel bars on the, parallel bar or the uh, arm. Nope, just no, a parallel we, bar. Back then, we had the arms in yeah, school. I, we didn't I, have parallel bars. I had one at home. I had an arm at home, and I, and I liked it a lot. But I didn't have to deal with the whole left-handed thing like you did. Yeah. Uh, it is the main of our existence. Uh, the, yeah, I bet. The thing I remember about those mechanical arms is they had these like plastic uh, with these little metal things on, on the top where they would like slide into a little, uh, um, I, I don't know, really, how you would attach these things. And you know, they'd kind of slide in. And so as you're drawing a long line, the further you got out, the more that thing would kind of bend and... Mm. and you know, <laughs> it was like it was almost impossible to get a damn straight line out of those things. At least anything longer than like a you know twelve inches long or something. But uh, anyway, I I took that that class and I and I didn't really take it because I knew about the drafting. I, I was just I, I was taking wood shop and I don't know why, but uh, I did those courses and and I think what what happened though is by doing that I, I was really good at doing those those drawings. And so when I looked at high school classes, I wanted to take like a drafting course. And so I suppose that that really kind of got me started. And I did take drafting all the way through high school. Uh, And I think the one thing I definitely got out of drafting from high school was that I hated mechanical drafting. (laughs) I hated it. I had no interest in drawing, you know, parts and gears and stuff like that. It was like... Oh, I hate this. And and I think we, you know, are like line, electrical line diagrams. I forget all the stupid things they made us uh, draw. And I, ironically, actually, I still have all of the original, what we call them plates or something like that. Uh, these eight and a half by 11 kind of yellow uh, magenta looking um, 
not magenta, but these, these kind of yellow, uh, pieces of paper that we were drawing on with number two pencils back then. And uh, this sounds very archaic, but <laughs> I actually still have all those old drawings. What's a pencil? <laughs> so, so, uh, anyway, that, that really kind of, you know, I guess it was, a, it was a progression, you know, starting kind of in junior high school, going through, um, high school, taking the drafting, uh, courses. And, and when I left high school, I took one class at uh, the local junior high, uh, uh, junior college that is, and it was a mechanical drafting sort of course. And I, I finished it. I did really well. And I said, I'll never do this again. I hated it. And it was not long after that, that I kind of was looking for a drafting job and fell into a job working for an architect, uh, at the time, just, you know, just not even a year out of high school. And, uh, and that, that had a huge influence in the rest of my career because the gentleman I worked for at the time was a graduate of Cal Poly and San Luis Obispo. And pretty much that was like the only school I applied to when it was, you know, when I, when I applied to go to college and, you know, kind of the rest is history after that, that, that was back in 1986, um, a little after, almost a year after I graduated high school and, from that experience, it has literally been the only job I've had since then has been architecturally related, you know, in a firm or, or something like that, or now on my own. Wow. That has been my only job. The last job I had outside of architecture was uh, uh, the summer of 1986. I was working at uh, a local hardware store called Orchard Supply Hardware here in the Bay Area. And... Uh, had a funny thing happen uh one 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 evening I used to have a water bed uh you know parents from the sixties or you know anyway uh, parents <laughs> parents older than that I mean not from the sixties but anyway i I had a water bed growing up, and one night it it busted, and so water all over and and i I had to deal with it you know a kind of a emergency situation over the in the middle of the night. But the carpet was completely soaked and everything. And so long story short, I was supposed to, I went, I, I had a job working for this architect. So I went, this was during the summer. I was, uh, so I go to work in this job and uh, I go during my lunchtime down to the Orchard Supply Hardware and I'm talked to the manager, assistant manager was there. And I said, hey, I need tonight off. I can't come into work. I, I need to, uh, you know, take care of this, this water damage in, at my, at my mom's house. Right. I was still living at home at the time. And he looked at me like, no, you can't have tonight off. I need you here to work. And he's like, why don't you go home now and do it? I said, because I'm at my job. You know, this is my career. I'm not going to leave that job. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not going to take time off of this job. And so he just said, no, I'm not going to give you tonight off. You can make the decision. And I said, okay, I've made the decision. Here's my resignation. I quit. I will go back and work my architecture job because I will do that for the rest of my life. I will not work in your piece of shit hardware store for the rest of my life. And ever since then, I've never worked anywhere else but in architecture. <laughs> so... uh Anyway, wow. interesting little story there, I mean, kind of how I got started, and and that's been it. I, I've literally worked in in different firms uh, ever since then. 
Have you ever been back to the uh, hardware store? I go back there all the time and buy stuff. That's <laughs> real close to my house. That damn um, pan. He left no, us in no, merch. They, they've remodeled that store. Actually, the store that I worked in, the the the, the shopping center that it's located at, um, the building was actually more towards the front, and uh, they ended up tearing that building down and building it towards the back of the shopping center where the rest of it is, and then turned the spot where the building used to be into parking out in the front. So that building's technically gone now. <laughs> But uh, I added a picture yeah. of a drafting arm into the show notes so that everybody who's listening, who's like scratching their head, what the heck's he talking about? Oh, now you excellent. can see it. Excellent. Yeah, we'll definitely have a link to that. Awesome. Because that's uh, definitely uh, 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 something to see, <laughs> those mechanical drafting arms. So, uh, But anyway, I mean, that's kind of how I got started. I, there wasn't really any job I had that uh, that did it for me. But I think the influence of taking those early drafting courses back in junior, junior high school, junior high school, um, that kind of led me into, you know, taking the drafting courses in, in, um, in high school. And then after that, it was like, you know, I had a talent for that. So, um, I just kept doing it. And I, I never developed any kind of, like I mentioned earlier, a cartoon type of talent, like that, that you're so good at Cormac, but, uh, um, but my, you know, put a parallel bar and a T square, you know, or T square and a triangle in my hand and I could draft weapons of choice. <laughs> That's right. They're weapons of the, choice. The brother and can I, rock a digitizer. And as the <laughs> people that follow me on Instagram or, uh, on Twitter, know, I, I still design with those tools. Um, I just bought a rolling ruler and an adjustable triangle last week just to, just so oh, I have I, that stuff. Yeah. It's I awesome. love my, uh, I love all my stuff. I still have it. I mean, I uh, I'm <laughs> sitting next to me is my drafting table that's got a parallel bar on it, but the parallel bar is only used to basically hold the pencils from rolling up and down. <laughs> and, uh, and I've got a T-square sitting on it. Nice. <laughs> and I use the T-square. Well, you know, I think for, for those listeners that um, are out there maybe in college now, I think, uh, you know, we kind of joke a little bit about the T-square, the you know, or the parallel bar, really, and, and uh, some of the old drafting tools. Uh, but I think what's really important about spending some time to develop those skills a little bit, and I know, you know, everything we do, even what I do uh, now uh, is uh, produced on the computer and printed, and that's what gets turned into my my actual uh, construction documents uh, and, and for, for permit. But, but I think it's really important. And I think that those in school should really pay attention to develop those skills of, and we've done a whole show on sketching before, but I think being able to, uh, you know, sketch out an idea quickly is really something very important when you're meeting with that client or you're having your uh, project meeting in the, in the conference room or something. And, somebody makes a comment or you have a sudden burst of of an idea and being able to roll out that trace and kind of quickly sketch something out. And even if it's just kind of very rough, but just having some basic skills to do that um, because nobody's going to just whip out the computer real quick and say, Oh, here, wait, 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 wait. Will I like, I, you know, start this up. Exactly. Okay. No, 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 it's still not ready yet. You know, oh. the icon's still bouncing there. Damn. Revit's not starting yet. It, it, you know, nobody's going to do that. But in, in like two seconds, sure you can roll are. out some trace 
and start sketching. And, and really that's, to me, that's how I design. I go back over to the drafting table and I sit down, I may do, you know, a lot of remodel uh, work that I do, I'll draft up the existing house and then I'll take that and print it out and go sit down and roll up my trace and start sketching over it. And to me, that's how I think. I, I know maybe some people don't do that now, or many people probably don't do that now, but I still think for those spur of the moments, you're in the meeting or you're in that conference room talking to a client or even coworkers, I think it's really important to develop that skill for doing something like that. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there as, as something I, I still think is is important. And I know volumes have been written about this and talked about it. So um we you know we can talk more about that, but I think actually first we have a sponsor to talk uh, to, or to mention first. Would you like somebody to draw CAD details for you, create BIM objects for you, write specs for you? Would you like this someone to do it for free? RCAT has already done all of this for you and more. So if you can go to rcat.com, a-r-c-a-t.com, and search the RCAT libraries for these products and more free of charge. No registration required to download content. RCAT has created a website devoted to you, the building professional, to find building product information fast and hassle-free. So once again, check out RCAT today at RCAT.com. So thanks, RCAT, for sponsoring the show. Once again, we really appreciate it. I have only worked in this product one time before in my life, and you know I've always vowed that I never really wanted to work with it again and it's not the you know, bad product or anything it's just you know we, we just always bad enough to vow to never work with it again. we you know people don't hold ephus in high esteem and um and so uh I, what's ephus uncle cormac <laughs> or ephus ifus however you know people pronounce it it is uh exterior insulated what is uh, wow, I've completely forgot. I've I've blanked on the uh, the acronym. Anyway, to go to RCAT you know, and look it up. You need to go to RCAT and look it up. However, but what it is is um, exterior insulation you know. finishing system. Thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate that. Yes. And uh, and um, I needed to look up some details for it on you know how to terminate uh, the EFIS system at the windows and you know window heads and jams and stuff like that. Because it's kind of a um, using this in conjunction with uh, um, cavity wall brick, and so I just wanted to see how it how it finished between the two and transition between the two materials. And where did I go? I went to Arcat. Nice, excellent. So you looked up details on the site for that. I kind of looked thing? up I looked up details on the site, and not only do they um, help provide uh, you know details, but I also was able to pull down some specs. Cool. So they have got PDF details. They've got DWG details. They've got Revit, Revit stuff. They've got all kinds of cool stuff on there. Uh, absolutely. So check it out, rcat.com. And the great thing about them is, is that they've pretty much anything that you're going to need for your documentations, whether it be details, drawings, cut sheets, specs, they have it all. And, and, that's a, and it's a really good, it is a very good tool to use. So Cormac, how did you get started? How did I get started? Well... Mine's, you know, we just recently um, posted, a bunch of guys posted the Architalk, and the, it was Architalk number five, Evan? Yeah, I, I think you're right. 
I think it was number four or five. And it was uh, it was about favorite things. And rather than going the course of favorite thing of of you know Bob's pet rock or you know cars and things like that and stuff, um, I actually always remember the memory of how I got started, or at least what I believe is the spark that got me started down this crazy path that's led me to right here, sitting down here talking with you guys. And so I wasn't too much older than my youngest child. Um, She's seven years old. And um, I believe it was either eight or nine. I was on a class trip. And we were going to the art museum. And my even even back then, I was drawing all the time. You know, I drew so much um, that everybody knew that I was going to have a really good time at the art museum because I got to see other artists, which I absolutely love going to art museums to see the techniques of other artists and stuff. But for some reason, this one, this day, when I went to the art museum, I paid more attention to the building. Yeah, um, we walked in. Once you uh, Saint the Saint Petersburg Museum of Fine Arts in Saint Petersburg, Florida. As we went into the lobby space, gathered everybody up, and the teachers kind of split everybody up, and we went on our merry way. For some reason, we were pulled into the kind of center courtyard area. Um, nice sunny day, sun was kind of shining down inside of it. I'd never been in a space like that before. And for some reason, I was just like, wow, look at this place. And, you know, I was weirdly smitten by the way that the building looked, the way that, you know, um, people kind of moved through the building. And it was just, it was this weird, you know, kind of like innate feeling that I was just like, yeah, this is, this is cool. This is what I want to do. And before I really even knew what the word architect was, I kind of had this feeling that that's what I wanted to do. I mean, I've had so many jobs in my life. One time, and if I can find the uh, the sketchbook and I can make a list of it, but I I had made a list one time before, you know, a couple jobs ago, and um, kind of went through everything, and I had 31 jobs. And there were a variety of different jobs, so it wasn't, you know, just the... The Neil's story of sticking to one thing. It was just whatever got the buck in my pocket to move on to the next job to kind of just make sure things, you know, I could stay on my path. But uh, even though I had some weird ones, you know, and I'm going to, I had, I made a list. I'm not going to post all of them on here, but I'm going to run down a few of them. You know, obviously everybody's heard me talk about, you know, being in the army. Uh, I was also in the uh, Alabama National Guard after I got out. But while I was doing all of that, I was also, I was a bike shop mechanic for you know road bikes, ten speeds, you know that kind of thing. I've worked as the obligatory bus boys and things like that. I don't know if any of you ever worked in a restaurant, but um, hard work. What was interesting about you know I always look at you know what did I learn from all of these jobs. Never really, you know, I I don't think I ever really actually hated the jobs. I just, they were jobs. I chose to do them, and so I did them. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I always thought was fun and interesting about some of these jobs were, what did I learn from them? Being a kind of a shy, introverted kid uh, growing up, 
you know, I hated interacting and talking with other people just because, you know, I just didn't feel very comfortable with it. And, and all of these different jobs and all of these different things that I've done has kind of enabled me to kind of come out of my shell and be able to interact and be able to stand in front of clients now and present to them because I had all of these other experiences. Like being an anchor in a box cutting factory. What does that mean? What? What does that mean? Okay, so um, anytime you buy a pocket uh, package of, say, Little Debbie's or whatever, Little Debbie's is one of them because I I would have to go to the big, huge uh, inking press and fill up all of the different uh, inks so that when you did a run of a couple thousand of boxes a night of packaging, I would be the one who would do the ink. Um, wow. Which was pretty clean, cleaning up at the end of the night was pretty nasty because, you know, we're talking about industrial strength size vats of ink. And then you have to like clean it all out and clean the rollers and, um, cl- you know, clean the presses because, you know, you'll, um, have you guys ever done any kind of printing, um, in art class or anything else? Where you do like the the photographic emulsion um, uh, plates. Closest I've ever come to printing is filling up an ammonia bottle for a blue line printer. <laughs> okay, it's just like that, but completely different. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for uh, newspapers and you know large scale printing, normally what you would do is you would do a. It, they have this emulsified metal plate that basically you would. Put your copy down on top of it, shoot a photograph of it, any of the black space or the negative space, you would basically clean all of that off, and then what was left is what would actually be printed out, would be the reverse of what would be printed out on the paper. And so, you know, and you you could do photographs, the whole thing. And that's why when you look at old photographs and stuff, they're kind of like dot pixelated. You know, it's because they're... to, to be able to get the contrast in a photograph for a newspaper, you know, you, you do it in a series of dots, not like, you know, an actual flat plate. And so basically you, you clean all of this stuff, you know, you, you do all of this, you set the, uh, these, you know, big, huge printers up. And, and when I say big, huge, I'm talking, if you were to turn, you know, like say a couple of, uh, maybe three or four pickup trucks side by side, so the width of the nose to the bumper of the truck would be the width of it. And then the length would be all four of these things parked next to each other. So that's how big they were. And they would run, um, you know, and so if you ever look at a package, you'll see kind of like this little target that has the different colors on it. Well, that's what we used to align um, all of the colors to make sure that when you put... You know, the CMYK, you know, the if you, you know, once you align all of those colors, they can make any color that you could possibly imagine. And so I, I would be responsible for basically setting up the printer, making sure it had a bunch of ink. And then when they came through to run it, I'd take them off and stack them up and put them, uh, put them on pallets. Does that mean that when the plotter fails at the office that they call you? I don't go anywhere near. Say, well, hey, oh. He learned his lesson long ago. Um, yeah, you guys got a problem with your uh, your plotter here. Let's call a technician. 
Although I, I did used to, um, the plotter that we, one of the plotters that we have at my current job, an older uh, firm had uh, one as well. And I used to fix that one all the time. So I, I know See, how to troubleshoot it. Useful skills. I don't know how the bike part though comes into architecture, the bike fixing, but actually it was one of my first first jobs that I had to I was absolutely horrible at it. The the <laughs> bike mechanic part of it, you know, actually like assembling a bike that somebody buys. Um that was that was fun. That was pretty easy, you know, and I'm able to like put my kids' bikes together and, you know, tune them up when they need them uh, to be tuned up. But the thing that I actually, it was the very first true, honest sales job that I ever had. And I was horrible at it. Trying to actually convince somebody at, I mean, this was after the Army, while I'd started uh, architecture, actually just before architecture school. I didn't know how to sell anybody on anything. This was the this was on this was the path of being able to uh, convince people of something. I, I realized early on that I wasn't that good at it, and it was a skill that I needed to get better at. Especially nowadays, that we have to That's what uh, you present do all the time, right? Yeah, we have to present convince people. It, it's interesting, and, and the reason why I thought that this topic would be really interesting is because you know, there's a lot of people who have to work through school, you know, and I I had. Like I said, I had all sorts of jobs through school. And you may think that they're just a means to an end, but they actually will help teach you some, you know, some interesting skills that you would normally not get in architecture school. I mean, we do presentations all the time, but when we're doing presentations in architecture school, even though, you know, we're being told that this is a skill that we need to learn. We always have in the back of our mind, or at least I had in the back of my mind, that the skills that I'm learning were, you know, I'm, I'm giving presentations to other people who know exactly what we're doing. So I never really felt that it was fully effective to teach me how to sell another architect architecture. It was always, okay, how do I get across to the layman? Yeah, I've got a blog post that's been in draft for probably six months now talking about this exact thing. See? And and so and so really being able to be passionate enough about something like a giant bicycle. Cause we he was one of the leading the guy that I work for, he uh sold the giant mountain bikes. And um Giant the brand name. Giant the brand not name. Like not, not like bikes for giants. Really huge ones. Thank yeah. you for clearing that up. <laughs> so Giant the brand. He was a sold a lot of those. I mean that was kind of one of his big sellers because they, you know, weren't like super expensive and they were good introductory mountain bikes and stuff. To learn about the product and then to be able to really be passionate about selling the product was something that I needed to learn. And what was interesting about it is that although I wasn't very good at it then, I think being able to, you know, be confident in what you're trying to convey to people when you're, you know, giving a presentation and then really selling it with passion is what we do. I mean, that that's, you know, anytime we put our, this much heart and soul into our projects, we can sell them. But it was, how do you sell them? And I think the, I think all of these other experiences of being able to, when I was in the Alabama National Guard, when I was uh, in school uh, at Auburn, 
I had practical experience that they wanted in the you know in the National Guard as an instructor. I had no no thoughts in my mind that I wanted to be an instructor. But because I was combat experienced in the Patriot Missile System and they were converting the Patriot Missile System from a active army job to trying it out in the Alabama National Guard, they were like, Hey, would you would you like to come and become an instructor? I'm like, Yeah, sure, why not? I was more looking for yeah, sure, I'm gonna get a paycheck. But you know, I went through um instructor training courses and then fumbled through the first few classes um of teaching them. But, you know, it was really trying it was really grasping this I'm good at this job, I know how to do this job, and really trying to convey the the skills to convert people who were other jobs, now train them to be Patriot Missilemen. It was interesting, but it was something that I now can look back on, and that was really the threshold of being able to stand in front of somebody confidently and sell sell them on the knowledge that I have. And so, you know, none of the, you know, I, I have a very unconventional path to, to architecture. Again, I could go down the crazy long list and there's no, but I mean, all of it was really, all of it was life skills that I can bring to it. So that's how I started. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Before we get to Evan, let's talk about our, our other sponsor, our new sponsor, actually. Yeah. Let's talk about NCARB. And for those of you who are involved in architecture. I'm sure you know what NCARB is, but for those of you who uh, maybe haven't heard of NCARB, this episode is sponsored by National Council of Architectural Registration Boards, helping aspiring architects reach their career goals. Visit blog.ncarb.org for exclusive tips on navigating the path to licensure. And so for those of you who don't know, you know, we've talked about NCARB in the past, um, but NCARB is responsible for making sure that People who are interested in getting licensed go through the proper channels to actually do that. And so the last year or two, I would say, they've they've come up with a couple of interesting changes to the way they've done things for a very long time. And so yes. the blog is just one example of that. And they've become a lot more of a public-facing company, um, or not company, but organization, if you go ahead and, and, and check out the blog over there at blog.ncarb.org, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. They're actually becoming much more of a public, helpful entity for people who are interested in becoming architects. So there's some really helpful stuff on there about developing your portfolio and interviewing and, and lots of lots of great information. So um, I'm excited to see what NCARB's done in the last few months, but also what they're going to do this year. And so we're really excited to have them as a sponsor and it just shows that they really are reaching out into the architectural community and developing relationships and starting to um, really change the face of their company and, and how we interact with them. So kudos to them. And again, thanks for sponsoring ArcSpeak. Yeah, so definitely uh, give them a shout out. Let them know you heard about the uh, heard about them or heard us talking about them on the show. Uh, that helps them understand where uh, where the audience is coming from, and it helps uh, helps us out a lot too. So definitely uh, make sure you let them know you you heard about them on on Arcaspeak. So we really appreciate their uh, sponsorship. So Evan, how did you get started, or what was your inspiration that drove you into this profession? 
Well, it was a lot when you were talking about your history. I, it's it's pretty similar, actually. Fun, funny enough, when I was in junior high, I also took a. It was called do it yourself, <laughs> and it was kind of a mechanical drafting slash uh, around the house kind of repairs class. It was a bunch of things mixed together. We didn't have a wood shop in junior high. Um, we didn't have any shop classes at all. But this sh- this class, man, I just felt like this is. This is totally what I'm into. There was drawing. There was fixing things. Like I was the kind of kid who took everything apart and put it back together to figure it out. Um, I've always been really mechanical, and I've, I love working with my hands. So I built my parents' sprinkler system at their house. I figured out after I took that class. I learned how to do it all, and then I just did it. Um, and then when I got into high school, I took architectural drafting classes for the entire four years. I went to school at zero period. Um, and had zero and first period of, of architectural drafting um, because I just it, I just felt like it was something that I, I again like you I was really good at it and uh, it it was just really fun I, I that was like the most enjoyable thing in school that I could possibly do there was a competition every year it was a, it was an ROP class um, which led me into this competition where we got to basically design and draw up a house and then we entered this this contest and mine got picked as the winner and so in high school I had a house that was built um, by another ROP construction program so it was designed by students and built by students so a couple towns over from me there's a house that I designed when I was in high school which was pretty cool. So then after that, I went to straight into Cal Poly. I had started to mess around with CAD drafting when I was in high school, and that obviously took off when I was in college. It wasn't really too heavily taught in college, but it was something that I took on myself. Um, and I learned how to do modeling, and I started using Form Z way back then. Funny enough, I, I'd never worked in an architecture office until... I was a junior or a senior hmm. in college. I worked at a ski shop <laughs> because I loved to snowboard. Um, and so I worked at a sporting goods store. I did ski rentals. And then I eventually moved into sales, kind of like what you were talking about, Cormac. And that's where I really started to cut my teeth on how to convince people of certain things or just listen to them and try to solve their problems, figure out what they needed yeah. um, when it came to gear and stuff like that. What were you going to say? Oh no, I was I was agreeing that you know it's kind of that listening, the listening skill was uh, was something that I developed when I was working in sales. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I I I then once once I had my my fill of you know I would ditch class all the time and go snowboarding uh, when I was at Cal Poly, and uh, I I could go to any ski hill for free because I worked in the in the shop and I worked out on the sales floor, so I got pro deals and I, I had a pass everywhere for all the local mountains. So I got tons of skiing and snowboarding in. Um, and then once I got into, once I got up in fourth and fifth year in college, I finally figured out that, I, Oh, I actually do need to actually get some experience. Mm-hmm. So I started working at HMC where I work now. Um, but I've, I left at one point and then, and now I'm back. Um, but I started just so I could get a job and f- start fulfilling my credits to graduate. Actually, I had to, you had to have a certain amount of experience at a, at a real internship, and I started off working on spreadsheets and, and not even doing CAD there. I just took whatever job I could get, and I worked my way up into becoming part of the design department back then. 
but I also built their websites and, you know, I taught myself how to code when I was in college. So I started building websites. So I built HMC's first three websites way back in the day. And I ended up leaving there and going and doing my own thing. I, I was there for four years and I ended up just thinking I needed to do something else. Um, and I, I didn't find another architecture job. I actually was doing so much modeling and animation, which was architecture related, but I went off and started my own company doing that stuff. And I did work for History Channel and Discovery Channel. I did the 9-11 special for uh, History Channel that they probably still show. Did a bunch of animation for that with some friends of mine. And uh, then I started Design Build Company with uh, a partner of mine because I had also started teaching at Cal Poly again. And he was another digital design teacher there along with me. So we did, we started a design build company because we both love to make stuff. And kind of like, like you, Cormac, like I, I went off and, and I tried a bunch of different things between my two stints at HMC, and I don't regret it one bit. I, I did so many other things, and I learned so much in the process. I learned how to weld. I learned how to fabricate. I learned how to work with clients one-on-one. I learned how to work with building departments and get permits all the stuff that you really don't do working for a larger firm, and uh, especially the working in the shop thing, which I to me is is kind of heaven. Uh, that's where I'd I'd rather be doing is actually making and installing and and uh, doing that kind of thing. And so then I actually did <laughs> that. The business wasn't doing too well, and it was 2004, I think when I went to work for Apple. And I, you didn't talk about Apple, right, Neil? No, I didn't. Uh, I can mention it later. I think that it's funny that we both worked for Apple because it was kind of out of left field for me. It was just something that I saw and I applied for it and I just went for it. And they were opening a new store right around here where I live. And so I had the opportunity to go be trained by this company that I admired so much. And so... I got to do the pre-store opening training, which today is kind of unheard of, I think. Now you're just kind of thrown right into it. But that was one of the best experiences of my life because I learned customer service. I learned sales from the people who are the best at it. And that is something that I wouldn't trade for anything. I use that those skills every single day at my job now when I'm working with clients. And as a designer and somebody who does work with clients early on in projects and then all the way through the end, it's my job to interpret what they say into the solution. And I feel like there's so many architects out there who just suck at listening. And so for me, I feel like I have an advantage because I worked at Apple and because I, I did work on my own for a while. So those things have directly translated into what I do now. So like I said, now I'm back at HMC. I had a couple other jobs in between there too. Um, So it's my second tour, as I say there. And uh, I've been there now for seven and a half years, almost eight years. And so during all that, all of those different things, working at Apple, I did another design and manufacturing job when I was working at Edifice doing design build. I was teaching at Cal Poly, and then I ended up teaching at Mount Sac as well. And so I was working three jobs, and then I ended up just getting rid of all the teaching because I wanted to really focus on my career and becoming an architect. So I I got rid of those, and now I I just work at HMC. And then I do the other little things on the side, like this, and I do Method, my my other website, getmethod.com, and then I'm starting up a new thing. It's called Space Shop, so more more on that later, but you can go to spaceshop.co and and, uh, check it out. 
But I'm, I feel like I've always got lots of irons in the fire, and I feel like part of me being a well-rounded architect comes from this history of just trying anything that comes my way. Yeah. And I don't feel like, I guess I shouldn't say this, I, I have wondered what would it have been like if I just would have stuck at HMC or, at, or some architecture firm, where would I be now? But it doesn't take me too, too long to, to realize that I, what I did was exactly right for me, because... It's so many things that I love. I, I totally feel like the uh, the polymath or that, you know, I feel like there's so many things that I am completely obsessed with that one career doesn't solve that for me. So I feel like there's so many things that I still want to keep my fingers in all these different pies because um, they're so interesting to me. And you you can kind of see that one in that, that blog post. The, my favorite things that that's just like one tiny piece of of my life it's it's cars and bikes and you know all those other things aside from architecture right so it's it's been a it's been a really interesting journey thus far but i feel like it it all feeds into what i do now so it was it's been fun well like you evan i i also worked at apple and you mentioned 2004 i think that's actually when i started with them as well uh I, I applied just kind of just as a, I don't know, just kind of as a spur of the moment sort of thing. I, I, I had a full-time job working in an architectural firm at the time and uh, went ahead and tried it and interviewed over the phone and then uh, did a face-to-face with, which was basically the, the, the store management uh, at the time. And like yourself, they were very receptive. And I, like yourself as well, got to go through. We did it on the weekends, Saturday and Sunday, all day training for three weekends in a row. Yeah, that was it. And and this and what was really cool about this, as a little side note here, because I live here in the Bay Area, uh, I got to actually do all of my training in the facility where they actually designed the stores. And so they they have a uh, an office building basically it's it's off campus off the main uh, uh, Apple campus that they used and they actually would build the store um, they or they would build the mock up of the store full size mock up a full size mock up and in fact we were not allowed in that space they had it roped off and uh, we were using uh, the the rooms and the conference areas and the and the lobby spaces. Uh, around that 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 area, but we were never allowed to go in it. Um, but what's cool is is that uh, a lot of what Apple did in their stores uh, were was there. I mean, they experimented with different types of lighting systems, different sorts of uh, tables and display areas, and how they would get named, and all of that stuff was there. I mean, they like literally built it, tore it apart, built it again tried different things and, and that was all in that facility. So that was a, a really great experience. And like you mentioned, um, you know, really just, just taught, taught you a lot about, like you said, sales, but listening, very important skill. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely carry those experiences uh, with me. And uh, as, as part, as you mentioned, uh, you, you were doing a store opening. I, I was lucky enough to be one of the first members or, or one of the original crew that opened up the flagship San Francisco store in downtown San Francisco. 
And that was Apple's, I think they only had like two or three flagship stores at the time. Now they've got dozens, but uh, it was a very big deal. Steve Jobs, the entire executive staff was there at the store opening. So uh, what a a great experience that was to, to play a part in that. Yeah, I think there was 23 people when we opened the store. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and now, I mean... Oh, you mean employees? Employees. Right, right. Yeah, and then... And then when I went back, you know, a few years ago and just saw a couple of my friends who still work there, I mean, they made it their career. Right. There was over 200 employees in the same store. Oh, my gosh. It's grown an immense amount. I think, I can't remember the exact number of the employees we had at San Francisco at the time, but it couldn't have been more than 40 or 50. Um, Maybe it was a little bit more, but I, I really don't think there was that many. And I, I have no idea how many people are in that San Francisco store now as far as employees go. But I, I transferred to a store uh, closer to my home uh, when they o- – and I got to be a, a member of that opening crew. And so that was a, a pleasure to actually uh, take place in two store openings. Cool. And that store, like you mentioned, uh, Evan, only had about, I, I think, maybe 20 people yeah, in that store. Yeah, smaller store. store. Oh, no, it's not a the really flagship. small store and, yeah. and maybe only – I don't know, 16 or 18 employees, maybe 20 at the most. And uh, I still have friends that, that still work in that same store. Yeah. And like you just said, they're, I think last I was in there uh, not that long ago, I think my friend said they've, they've got like about 120 employees. And it's like, this yeah. is crazy. A couple uh, funny things. I, I actually was building a store when I was doing design build in the mall that the Apple store was being built in. Uh-huh. And so I was up there because we did design build. I was there installing uh, some stuff and I walked down to the Apple store and it was obviously everything was the whole mall was being built at the same time because it was brand new, everything. And uh, I walked into the Apple store because I had my hard hat on. I had my steel toe boots. So I just walked in <laughs> and uh, the, con- the the contractor was in there and he's like, hey, what's, you know, who are you? And I, I said, oh, I'm building a store up here. I just wanted to check this out. And he gave me the full on tour of the store. Before it was even open, and he was talking about the air distribution and the lighting and how it had all been patented by Apple, and it was all really cool. Like he was excited. It was it was neat to see a contractor be excited about what he was building. And in the store had the stainless steel facade, and he talked about where it came from and how much it cost and all that kind of stuff. And so it was pretty cool when I went through training and people were like, I wonder what the store is like because no one could. It, the mall wasn't open yet. Mm. You, you couldn't even tell, and it was. It was my my little extra special thing that I got. To, I already knew about it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that was fun. Nice. Well, you know, one of the things I, I didn't mention. I, I I said I've had a job in architecture basically ever since uh, I virtually started, and uh, that is true. I, I did at one point uh, take a job with a developer, and when I first took that job with them, uh, I was actually technically called a, I was doing forward planning for them. So I, I really wasn't doing day-to-day architecture. Um, I was, as a planner, though, I was in charge of getting projects built. And and part of that was dealing with the architects, dealing with the landscape architects, the civil engineers, and everyone involved in developing a project. And so that was another great skill set that I gained just because I had to deal with construction. I had to deal with sales. I had to deal with purchasing and all these different um, people that had input on basically what we were 
building and then, you know, selling. And so it was a really wonderful experience to learn about an industry that I had been involved with heavily for over a decade at that point, and, and to a certain extent, even longer. Um, and to find out, because you know, when you're on the out, find out how the, some of these decisions are made. Because when you're on the outside and you're just doing the architecture, you know, you you get these uh, ideas or, and or goals set down upon you by the developer. It's like, okay, I need this and this. Oh, we're changing this. We're doing that. And you often wonder, why are they making these decisions? Because sometimes they just don't make sense. And so when I got a chance to work on the other side of the fence, so to speak, it was, whoa, okay, well, sales has these interests and purchasing has these issues or construction have these issues. Finance has these issues. And it's really, uh, it was a, an eye-opening experience for me. And one that was also very interesting because um, I got a chance to actually turn the tables on on some of my bosses uh, that I had worked with. I mean, I was doing uh, re- you know re- production housing, and that, and so I went to a developer who was now high, turner, turning around and hire. I was actually going back out and hiring my former firm to do work, and so uh, I had a very interesting experience where. Uh, I, I received a set of preliminary drawings from the architect uh, and they just weren't up to standard. They weren't, they weren't good. And I called, uh, called them up and, and just read them the riot act because I knew what I was looking at. And I think they were used to, uh, you know, somebody in a, in a more of a planning position that didn't really have any architecture experience, didn't really understand what it took to put together a set of drawings and they were giving me something, and I was looking at it, I was like, okay, this is not very good. And and I could call them out on it, because I knew what I was talking about, and I had done it. I had been on the other side of that fence. Mm-hmm. So it was a really interesting experience to be, be able to do that, um, not only just to, um, to see how all of the sausage is made, so to speak, on, on how that is produced. <laughs> the sausage factory, yeah, totally. Yeah. But it was also an experience on how do I deal with all of these different consultants? Because I was so used to being on the consultant side. And so one of the things I consciously did, I, we all hate this. I mean, how many of our listeners have had the, uh, you know, your client call you up on a Thursday afternoon or say, you know, even worse, a Friday afternoon and, and oh my God, you know, here's this big, huge issue and I need it. I need all these questions done by Monday. Uh, that happened to me right. last week. Yeah. Okay. So happens all the time, right? So what I tried to do is, you know, because I hated that and I hate, you know, of course, what do you do? Okay. You bust your butt all weekend long, you know, when he's out, you know, having his cocktails and barbecue over the weekend, you're in the office working. Right. And I hated that. I never liked that. So as me being on the other side, I always made sure that, you know, that never happened. I always made sure my architecture team or my landscape or civil engineers, they knew what was coming. They had the schedule. I almost never had to call them and say, I need something right away. In fact, I would, I learned the trick of uh, basically creating artificial deadlines before my real deadlines. So I'd tell them, Hey, I need it by, you know, this Friday or something. And it was like a week ahead of when I really needed it. Yeah. Because I anticipated there would be problems or maybe two weeks ahead. 
And so that I could actually do the, so that I wouldn't run into those problems. So I was trying to help out the people on the other side so that there wouldn't be those problems. And so I think these are all great skills to have, uh, to, you know, to develop yourself. And, and I think also too becoming a, 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 doing a stint as a forward planner, I learned a lot about how you actually pull a building permit how you get improvement plans done, how you t- you know record a final map on a project. These were all tasks that, as an architect, I had never done. Yeah, just because of the type of work I was doing, I was like, I was always here's the building. I need this architecture. We'd give them the set of plans, and that would be it. And so um, I learned all these other skills, which ended up becoming very important. As now I'm actually a member of my local planning commission. And all of those skills now, I mean, I'm not actually doing improvement plans, but when we get projects in front of the planning commission, I get all those plans and I can totally understand them. I know what they're talking about and I can read them and it makes understanding the projects and understanding the planning documents that we have in our general plan and our zoning code. It helped me understand all of that. And so, you know, those are all good skills that uh, really help you prepare for any job in architecture, whether you're before, during, or after school. Um, And also, too, you know, what if you lose your job? So all of these other skills help you to either find other work um, or, you know, allow you to grow. And, you know, like you said, Evan, it, it gives you interest to do other things as well. So if one job doesn't work out, you have something else to fall back on. Yeah, I, I get. I totally agree. I think that's uh, that's great advice. Any final words of wisdom, Cormac? Well, I was just uh, curious in all of the lists of jobs that you guys have had. Um, what's been? I your... counted thirteen, so I don't have nearly as many as you. <laughs> what's been your favorite? Oh man. Well, there's just favorites for different reasons. I like I said, I really loved the experience I had at Apple, but I loved what I was doing when I was doing design build. And that was a completely different experience from the stuff that I do now that I love, which is working with clients on a much bigger scale and, and making buildings for many people, um, which is part of the, the whole public works part of it that I really enjoy is kind of architecture for the people, not just for, for the elite or for the rich, you know, in the, in the high end homes. But, uh, when I'm doing public schools or, or university work, I, I get a lot of, I get a lot out of that because it's, it's for so many people. You, you mentioned design build and one of the things that you didn't mention, but cause I've done some design build as well. I mean, we, you know, one of the first projects I did design build was for the town of Seaside in Seaside, Florida. If people are familiar with the new urbanist community of Seaside we did the the big sundial we we helped build basically one of their little uh parks you know it's on about a acre park and there's this uh it's got to be at least 15 20 foot high um sundial with a you know on a big concrete base with concrete numbers all over the place and a couple of like ziggurats and you know all sorts of things you know to kind of play and climb on and stuff <laughs> anytime you get to say that word exactly it's impressive it is because how many times do you get to say ziggurat in your daily use right. but i mean the thing the thing that i learned doing design build that translates you know fantastically 
to the day-to-day of, of architecture is learning how to put things together. How do things go together? It's actually one of yes, probably totally. one of my strongest skills is being able to take a concept and just basically be able to sit down and visualize exactly how it'll all go together and then be able to then turn around and draw it. Yeah, I totally agree. Because a lot of times... You know, people will default back to, well, you know, this is the way that Revit drew it. I was like, but is that, yes. it, but is that the way that you're going to build it? Well, I don't really know. Like, yeah, That's well, Revitism. Exa- exactly. <laughs> it's just like, well, I mean, maybe. So learning how to swing a hammer. I mean, you know, all of these um, uh, projects or a, a lot of schools are really starting to really start doing these uh, design build programs. I mean. You know, rural studio at Auburn, kind of, kind of. Insert plug. Insert here. plug here for the good old rural studio. But I mean, I, I thought that what these kids learn coming out of that program and all of these other programs like that are absolutely invaluable because you know being able to understand how to build something, you know, swinging a hammer, you know, the sweat equity that goes into it. I mean, you really do have a greater appreciation. I mean, that's why I love doing construction administration. I mean, a lot of people hate doing construction administration. I absolutely love it because I love to be able to see that I had a say in the seed that planted this whole thing all the way up to being there when the keys are handed over to the client and, you know, everything in between. And it's just fantastic experience. The coolest thing to me about CA is, is the intense solving uh, problems yes that goes on day to day yeah because it's it's not all in the drawings <laughs> and it is not all completely thought out and if you have the opportunity to be there and when those questions come up it's invaluable to the project coming out the way that you know you designed it the way that you intended for it to be and that's i think it's it's stressful but it's fun and rewarding to be out there on the site and to be able to solve those problems with the contractor, it's really cool. Here, I'll give you this real quick example. You know, so existing building that we've got going on right now, um, there's a handful of renovation that goes on the existing building. New, the new portions, they're they're a lot easier. So, the interface between all of the new construction and the existing building, you know, we get in there. Uh, once you pull down the existing ceilings and stuff and you realize, oh, it wasn't as high as we thought it was. So now we've got to tighten up the space where we're putting in all of the mechanical um, fire protection and everything else. It's, it kind of for, it forced what was going to be a 9-foot ceiling, it forced it to be pushed down to 8-foot ceiling. But I've got windows that the head height is 9 feet. So... What do you do? And I'm not going to tell you what my solution was, but these are the fun things that you... That just come up. That you're able to look at, see the issue, and then be able to think through it because you've got that experience of being able to kind of like fit all the parts and pieces together to really kind of do it. And it, and those are the fun things about being able, you know, to do all of the design build stuff that you're able to really kind of think through these things. And I'm not saying that, you know, people who haven't had the opportunity to do design build aren't able to do that, but I think it gives you that little bit of extra. But I did want to say one thing before I kind of be quiet about my jobs and stuff is one of the coolest things job wise 
that I've ever done. I worked at in St. Petersburg, Florida. A lot of people don't know this, but the Salvador Dali Museum is there's two Salvador Dali museums. There's one in his hometown in Spain, and there's one in St. Petersburg, Florida. The one in St. Petersburg, Florida has the largest collection of Salvador Dali work. And one of the most famous ones is the disintegration of persistence of memory. There's the persistence of memory and disintegration of persistence of memory. You know, the melting clocks and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to hold it in my hands. Nice. Hold it. Nobody. I mean, people have to stand behind velvet ropes and look at this thing and not get anywhere near it. And I got to hold it in my hands. And that was the coolest thing. Because love or hate Salvador Dali, he is a genius and a master and has got some awesome technique. And I got to hold some of his paintings. That's awesome. And a couple of Picassos too, but you know, who's who's counting? Dime a dozen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one thing I, I, I would like to kind of end with with a couple of just poignant things here. Number one is I, I would challenge people to step outside of their comfort zone, especially if you haven't kind of settled into your career yet, and f- find work that, like the things that we're talking about, where you are developing other skills other than architecture. Architecture will always be here. There's definitely, it, it doesn't move as fast as some of this other stuff does. And so if you were to get laid off or maybe you just haven't picked that that dream job yet, try different things out because I, f- I really feel like your skills, especially in customer service, if you're going to be working in architecture, architecture is about working with other people, whether it's the team that you're working with or the people that you're working for, whether that's in your office or with your clients or with your clients' clients. Or if you if you go into public work, man, it's it's navigating that system of all the people that you have to be able to listen to and talk to and and respond to. It's a it's a big deal, and I feel like anything that you can do, like Cormac brought up, working in in the food industry, that is the front lines of customer service. If you stand in a line at Starbucks, you know what I'm talking about. If you go to the Genius Bar at an Apple Store, you know what I'm talking about. It's dealing with people in their happiest state and dealing with them <laughs> in their most pissed off state. And and you get one of each every 15 minutes. You know, it, it, it just moves at a speed that is much different than, than a lot of different jobs. So I recommend that. It, I think it really does develop character. It also develops skills that you can actually use in architecture. So it's kind of my final parting words of wisdom there is, is try other stuff. Um, architecture is going to be there. Well said. Excellent. I I would agree. Nothing more to add on that part. So, I guess that brings us to the end. Here we are. So, here we are. So, first off, shout out to uh, and thank uh, our sponsors, ArcCat and NCARB, for sponsoring this episode of the ArcuSpeak podcast. Go visit the site at arcuspeakpodcast.com, and there you'll find links to our Facebook page where you can see Alexander's comment and also our links to our individual Twitter accounts where you can interact with us on a daily basis. Yeah, and if you guys have uh, ideas for episodes, tweet us. Let us know what you want to hear about. Yeah, yeah. or don't forget, you can always call and tell us, and then we can include your audio in the show at 415 484 
8496. And just a last reminder, if you haven't already done so, leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps when people are looking for the show. Uh, They see those reviews and it really helps uh, get the word out about the show. So, all right, guys, we're done. Thank you very much for listening. And tell us your job stories. Let us know. ArcSpeakPodcast.com. I've I've got at least 36 of them covered. (laughs) Cool. All right. All right, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night. You forget, if you blow, you can bet, I know, I know, I know.